The subject for this message is on consider one another and exhort one another. And those two really go hand in hand because we must first be thoughtful and considerate and aware of one another's needs, struggles, and situation in order to effectively exhort one another. And when we are considering one another, we will be stirred up to exhort, to encourage, to inspire one another. But let's begin with the text from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This begins with the exhortation to hold fast the profession of faith. And it's written to a people at a time that they lived in a time where they were being assaulted. They were, they were under attack and they needed the encouragement and the exhortation to stay steadfast in the faith, to remain loyal to Jesus Christ, to his kingdom, to his people in the face of many temptations to fall away. It was not a time that these uh, believers receiving this letter, it was not a time in which they lived that it was an easy situation to be lukewarm about their faith. It was not a time where they could just be neutral in their situation. To follow Jesus, to be loyal to him, to be faithful to him, meant for many of them that they would face persecution, that they would face ridicule, that they would lose relationships, family, that they would uh, be persecuted and sometimes even put to death for their faith. So they, they needed encouragement to remain loyal to Christ and not fall away from the faith. They needed to hold fast to the profession of faith in the face of this struggle. And I believe, though, in our day and age, our situation may be different in some respects from theirs. I think we increasingly live in a time where we cannot be neutral, that we must be held up, we must be faithful to Christ, we must be loyal, or we will be liable to fall away from the faith, to stray from him. And so we must be uh, holding fast in the profession of our faith, but we cannot do it on our own course, that is so much of what this, uh, this conference is about, that you cannot do this on your own. This is not hold fast your profession of faith by your own uh, exertion of your own will and your own strength, and you just got to toughen up and do it on your own. This is something that we need each other in order to do. We need the church. We need our brothers in the faith to hold us up. In order to do this, we need to encourage one another in it. And we all uh, have times where we become discouraged, we become weak, we're, we're afraid, we're weak 
and we have to be lifted up. And so I want to uh, look at this exhortation we have here to consider, to consider one another. Um, and in particular, I want to speak of this in terms of consideration, uh, in terms of how we view our membership in the church and our responsibilities and privileges that we have of being members of a body in the church. So I'm going to focus a bit on the idea of church membership. Now, if if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you hopefully you have been baptized. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't, you ought to be baptized. This is a an identification with Christ, and among other things, the many multifaceted meaning of baptism, among that, it is uh, a an expression of our loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are we are willing to die to ourselves and to all of this sinful world and and devote ourselves and our lives to following Him. And then every one of us who has passed through those waters of baptism, we have been marked out as as a holy army for Christ. And and we ought also to be members of a local church. We ought to devote ourselves. This is not something that we can live out in the abstract, loving one another, encouraging one another, comforting one another. You have to have the one another's there that you have uh, committed yourself to in order to do that. And so we need to be part of a local church. We need to be committed to that and then live that out in many practical ways. Uh, I want to look at this by starting with a story uh, about some Baptists, some of the first Baptists in this country. Uh, the first Baptists, many among the first Baptists in the state of New Jersey and something that they went through in their early years as as they were forming a church. The First Baptists in New Jersey were in a place called Middletown, and they migrated there in about the 1660s, and many of them flew situations, various situations of persecutions in other places, states, um, and and they went there to find a place where they could live out their faith in uh, fr- religious liberty and freedom, and so for, uh, they, they began to meet, they began to assemble themselves together as a church. But within, uh, really within a generation, that church came into a crisis, a conflict that almost tore them apart and they almost didn't uh, go on to become as influential and as impactful of a people as they were. But thankfully, uh, and this was about in 1712, when their conflict, their their crisis in their church really came to a head. I mean, it, it was serious. There was some people in the church who were uh, excommunicating others in the church. It turned out they weren't doing this in a right way, but it was over uh, the, the controversy that they had. They did something smart. They asked some, some of their brethren from another church to come to hear their situation, to give them some advice, to counsel them. And and then they listened to the advice. They followed the advice. Their church was reunited. It was saved, and they went on to thrive as a church for many generations after this. Among the advice that they were given was they were encouraged to 
adopt a church covenant whereby they express their uh, promise to commit themselves to certain things as, as a body and as a church. Now, whether you have in your church a written church covenant or not, whether it's exactly like this or not, isn't really the important point. I want to use some this as an example. No matter what our written church covenant is, that we are responsible and privileged to commit to one another in these ways as a church. And so let me, let me read this to you. It's, it's not that long, but they had eight things that they committed to. And in fact, it wasn't just this church, but as it turns out, this particular covenant was a church covenant that was adopted by many of the churches in that era in time. And these were, these were strong, doctrinally sound, committed, vibrant churches that went on to have an immense impact on the Baptist churches and faith in our country for generations to come. And this was the kind of commitment that they had to one another. One, we do promise and engage to walk in all holiness, godliness, humility, and brotherly love as much as in us lieth to render our communion delightful to God, comfortable to ourselves, and lovely to the rest of the Lord's people. Two, we do promise to watch over each other's conversations and not to suffer sin upon one another so far as God shall discover it to us or to any of us and to stir up one another to love and to good works, to warn, rebuke, and admonish one another with meekness according to the rules left to us of Christ in that behalf. Three, We do promise in an especial manner to pray for one another and for the glory and increase of the church and for the presence of God in it and the pouring forth of his spirit on it and his protection over it to his glory. Four, we do promise to bear one another's burdens, to cleave to one another and to have a fellow feeling with one another in all conditions, both outward and inward as God in his providence shall cast any of us into. Five, we do promise to bear with one another's weakness, failings, and infirmities with much tenderness, not discovering to any without the church nor any within, unless according to Christ's rule and the order of the gospel provided in that case. Six, we do promise to strive together for the truths of the gospel and purity of God's ways and ordinances, to avoid causes and causers of division, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Seven, we do promise to meet together on the Lord's days and at other times, as the Lord shall give us opportunities to serve and glorify God in the way of his worship, to edify one another, and to contrive the good of his church. Eight, We do promise according to our ability or as God shall bless us with the good things of this world to communicate to our pastor or minister, God having ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And then as they came towards the end of their church record, this section, they concluded it with these words. They said, these and all other gospel duties we humbly submit unto, promising and purposing to perform, not in our own strength, 
being conscious of our own weakness, but in the power and strength of the blessed God, whose we are and whom we desire to serve. Many of the things that we have been encouraged to and exhorted to this this day and yesterday are things that they were promising and committing to one another in the church because they saw that these were not just good things to do, but as it has been told us, that these were necessary, that these were imperatives. These were commands of God that we must do and we need as members of a church. We need one another to uphold each other in these ways. So let's consider a few of these things. These are really about considering one another. You know, when I think about that word consider one another, what that means practically in our lives, we might start with thinking about how that begins in our minds, how it begins in our thoughts, that our thoughts must not just be solely focused on ourselves and on our own uh, situation, our own suffering, our own desires, our own hopes, what we like to do, but our thoughts must go outward to one another and include one another. And that's part of what it means to consider one another. But it doesn't end there. It isn't just you need to be thinking about each other. It also lives itself out in practical ways in our actions and commitments to one another and in the words that we speak to one another. And so that's how it includes exhortation. It also includes purposing to live in a certain way that we understand that our actions as they did, as they committed to live in personal holiness and abide by God's law and God's word in their lives, that they realized that their actions, good or bad, had an impact not just on themselves, but on one another. So how you live, how you live your life, whether you're in church or day-to-day in the week in between services when you come together, how you live doesn't just affect you, it affects your brothers. It affects them in a serious way, sometimes in ways seen and unseen. And so it was important to them. They didn't have this view of life that they were an island to themselves and that how they lived, as long as they didn't hurt anybody else, had no impact on anyone else. That's not, that's not how it works. We are connected to one another and we are meant to be connected to one another. We are designed to be part of a community, to be part of a family, to have brothers that we depend on and that depend on us. And so that means that your actions, whether you're living faithfully in obedience to God's word in your life, your personal holiness, that means that it doesn't just affect you. You don't, you're not the only one that suffers when you sin, but you're connected to a people. And so there's a commitment to one another. And and then it also uh, affects in how we speak to one another and uh, many of the things that have been covered about being willing to gently rebuke and correct and seek to restore one another. These were the kind of things that they not only desired to do, but that they committed to do, that they purposed and they saw as a necessary commitment as part of being a church. And I am also appreciative that as they concluded those words, they recognize, because this is a, this is a tall order, but they recognize 
their infirmity. They recognize they can't do this in their own strength. We can't do this in our own strength. We recognize that we will have weakness and infirmity. We will fall short of it, but it is what we are called to to strive for. Let me just focus in on a few of these things. One uh, thing to focus on from that is they promised to attend the worship. They promised to, to meet together. That's from this passage in Hebrews as well. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It is one of the most basic and fundamental duties and responsibilities and privileges that we have and it's and it seems simple and it seems basic but it is so important to show up to to be there to be with to to meet when your church meets to show up at other times and places uh, you, you won't even have the opportunity to obey many of the the exhortations you've been given if you're not with your brothers if you're not in a situation and you won't have the opportunity to be the giver of the blessing or the recipient of the blessing if you don't show up. And so that's why that is one of the most important fundamental commitments that we make. And sometimes, sometimes it's easy, not just easy, but it's a delight to obey that. Uh, we want to be there. We're excited to be there. We, we, hopefully we've all had times where we were just so excited to get up and to come to church, to meet with our brethren, to sing the songs, to hear the sermon. We knew it was going to bless us. We knew that we needed to be there and we were, we were thrilled for that. We were delighted. And if it was always that way, you would hardly need a commitment. You would just do it because you were so, uh, happy to do it. But we also, probably have all had times where we aren't delighted, where it's difficult. Maybe there's something going on at church that we're, we're displeased with, and it's it's struggle for us to be there, or we're discouraged, or maybe it's just something going on in our own heart that we don't want to be around other people. There are many, many different reasons, but let me remind you something that, that hopefully you you already know, but remind you that It is an encouragement to your brethren in the church just for you to show up and to be there. Your presence is an encouragement. And that can, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Uh, Sometimes because we don't feel like we're an encouragement to other people, especially if we're down or we're struggling with something. But it is. It is an encouragement just to see you there. On the converse, it can be a discouragement when you don't show up. And, and so if you feel like you have nothing else to give sometimes, sometimes you feel like you have nothing else to give, start by showing up. And know in your heart, know in your heart that just being there, just trying to be there and have, have a good spirit is a start, and that in itself will be an encouragement to others. It will help embolden others. Imagine, imagine if the pastor showed up to preach one Sunday and, and two thirds of the congregation was just not there. Would that be, a, would that be a little bit of a discouragement at least? Yeah, it would be, it would be a discouragement, not just to the pastor, um, but to everyone. And so being there, showing up, 
And then, you know, don't end with that, but that's the starting point. Show up with a desire in your heart, no matter how, you know, no matter what, uh, you think you have to give, pray that God would enable you to be an encouragement to somebody else in that situation. Go in hoping that you would have something to give. Sometimes people get discouraged uh, with attendance because they feel like they're not getting anything out of it for one reason or another. Um, maybe they're just don't feel like they're receiving a lot from the preaching that's going on. Uh, or, may, or maybe it's something else. They don't feel like they're getting something out of it. Well, don't look at church as just coming about what you are going to get out of it. Also come realizing that God has given you a calling to give something to others, to be a blessing and encouragement to others as well. So, so go not just with what you can take, but what you can give. As Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. And I promise you will receive. But, but you can go, even if you're not feeling like you're going to get anything out of it, or you're not even in a state of mind to receive anything, go with a prayer that you might have an opportunity to encourage someone else. And you might have no idea who needs something you might say to them, or, or, or even just the comfort of your presence being there would be an encouragement. Another thing that they committed to was the practice of church discipline. That is that they recognized that they were responsible to one another, and the practice of church discipline is a two-way commitment. It was a commitment to participate in it and also to be submissive to it, to be willing to be submit to church discipline that is the exhortation, the rebuke, the correction of their brethren when, when, if, if you are in sin, if you are going astray, that you have committed to submit to the, uh, judgment of the church, to the exhortation of your brethren as they seek to restore you in a spirit of meekness and gentleness to the right path. And it's also a commitment to participate in that to participate it in the right and in the godly way. That is when you're, when, when you are, uh, when you become aware of a sin that your brother is involved in, you don't go about that trying to, uh, expose him to shame or embarrassment. You don't go about gossiping it to everyone in the church in order to, to stir up strife or cause division or bring embarrassment or, or puff yourself up, but you approach it in the biblical manner that has been laid out for us. Here are some of the the principles that are given. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about how to go to a brother that has trespassed against thee. So this is particularly uh, following the example of if you have been sinned against by one of your brethren, this is an example. This is the instruction of how you are to handle that. And the principles that come out of this are important to how we practice church discipline. Uh, Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So your brother has sinned against you. 
you probably are upset at your brother. May, you might be rightly uh, offended by this sin against you, but your desire should be not to destroy your brother, not to seek vengeance on your brother or get payback to your brother, but to restore your brother. Your desire should be that that relationship is restored and that requires, of course, a heart of forgiveness. But if we are acquainted with how much we have been forgiven, then we can forgive one another. We can, we can forgive one another. We can desire that, uh, if this sheep is, is lost from the flock, that God might use us as a means to bring that lost sheep back into the flock and restore that relationship. So that's the desire. So that's why you go to your brother first and you tell him the fault and you seek to restore him. And if he is restored and repentant and that reconciliation takes place, then it doesn't have to go any further. It doesn't have to uh, be ex- go beyond that or, or make anyone else aware of it. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, I will say by way of explanation, too, that I think the assumption is that what's under consideration here is involving pretty serious sin. All sin is serious in a sense, yes, but uh, this isn't just, uh, I didn't, he rubbed me the wrong way, I didn't like the way he phrased that statement when he was talking to me to the other day, and I, I'm upset, so I'm going to now get the church involved, and we're going to need witnesses in this situation. Not everything rises to that level, I think. Um, so I think this is talking about a fairly serious kind of situation, something that requires resolution, something that cannot be dealt with just by the idea of long-suffering or, or patience. You know, this is a serious thing that's taken place. And so it needs to be resolved one way or another. It needs to be addressed. And so he won't hear you. Take two or three witnesses. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So again, we can see that this must be talking about a a serious sin. But even with a serious sin, the desire is that there would be reconciliation. And so our commitment in light of Jesus's teaching is that on both sides of this, we must be committed to submit to what Jesus has instructed. So if we're the one being corrected, if we're the one being rebuked, then we have to hear that instruction and that rebuke and uh, repent of that sin. And um, in Matthew 5, another we get another principle here about how important reconciliation with our brethren is. How important it is that there is both a spirit of forgiveness, the practice of forgiveness, and the desire for reconciliation among God's people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Ye ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before thy altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, it seems to me like the setting here is Jesus is talking about a very important act of, of the worship of God. He's talking about bringing a gift to the altar. He's talking about our very service and worship of God itself. And he says, when you come to do that and you realize that your brother has some, has something against you, presumably because you have committed some kind of transgression, some kind of sin where you've offended, where you've harmed your brother, and that has not been reconciled. And the exhortation is that you, that you leave your gift there and you prioritize reconciling with your brother and then you come back and you offer the gift. The, the, the assumed in this is repentance, forgiveness, and, and all those things that lead up to reconciliation. But this emphasizes to us how important that is, how it is not optional that sin and causes of strife and division and a lack of reconciliation is not optional that those things be addressed among God's people. Uh, Paul also writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.20, he says, Then that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Uh, there's also, and, and then in Galatians, he describes a situation where he publicly rebuked Peter in front of everyone else. So why would he do that in that situation? Well, because uh, Peter's sin in that situation was a very public sin that was before everyone. And so the impact of it, the scope of it, and the and how public it was, was affecting everyone, and therefore it needed to be addressed in front of everyone. So these things are not simple. These things are not, uh, these things are not easy to live out, and they can be uncomfortable but they're not optional for us. We must be committed to them and we must, in a spirit of humility, be willing to submit to and participate in church discipline. The last thing I want to talk about is is exhortation because this passage that we began with in Hebrews, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There is such a need that we be exhorted, that we be stirred up by one another. I looked this word up so I was sure that I understood what it meant. In the Webster's 1828, it says that this word exhort, comes from a root that means to embolden, to cheer, to advise, and the primary sense seems to be to excite or to give strength, spirit, or courage. And as a definition, it gives this, to incite by words or advice, to animate or urge by arguments, to a good deed, or to any laudable conduct or course of action. 
I get several things out of that definition, but one of the things I, I get out of that is that this is a skill that needs to be practiced, used, and developed. That, that we actually should desire to be better at exhorting one another. We cannot just look at one another and, and, and our brethren with the expectation that goes something like this. You know, they know the Bible. I know the Bible. We've all heard this. They should know what they're supposed to do and they should just want to do it. Um, I don't know if you ever think that way, but sometimes I, I confess I think that way. And it's when I'm not thinking about my myself and my own failings and my own ways that I've failed to obey or live up to God's word a hundred thousand times, but I look at somebody else and I think they know what they're supposed to do. They should just do it. We need to be encouraged. We need to be incited and stirred up to it. Sometimes we need reasons and arguments and, and, and we need to be convinced of the rightness of that path. And then we need to be, we need to be stirred up and excited to it and motivated to it. And you have a role in doing that for your brethren, to your brethren, to, to excite them, to stir them up, to incite by words or advice. Uh, sometimes that's going to be a comforting word. Sometimes it's just encouraging someone to press on through the difficulty. And sometimes that's a, a, an, a two hour conversation where you talk through all the, the difficulties of the situation and you, uh, help somebody to see reason and an appropriate course of action in their situation. And that takes wisdom and that takes considering one another thinking about one another and where somebody's situation is, to animate or urge by arguments to a good deed or to any laudable conduct or course of action. Uh, I've always played sports throughout my whole life since I was a kid, and this makes me think a little bit about being on a sports team. When you're out, when you're out on a sports team, if you're on a good team, what what you've experienced is that People on that team are always, always exhorting one another, encouraging one another. It's constant. It never stops. You're always encouraging one another to, to give it your all and to, and to face the adversity and to stand up against those difficulties. To, 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 and it, we're reminding each other of things we all know. Nobody starts that game at the beginning of the game and, and is all huddled together and the coach says, look, We've practiced. I've taught you how to play this sport. You all know what to do. So now I all want you to just keep your mouths shut and go out there and play, and then no one encourages each other. That's not how it works. We're there constantly reminding each other and stirring one another up and firing one another up, and I don't even understand how it all works or why it works the way it does, but there's something about hearing somebody who's standing side by side with you and cares about you saying, keep going, keep pushing, keep pressing through that helps you to do it. And so we need that. You need that people to do that for you and your brothers need you to do that for them. So let me close with this verse, Hebrews 3, 12 uh, to 14.
We keep, we keep urging each other. We keep inciting by words or advice, animating or urging by arguments to a good deed or to any laudable conduct or course of action, in particular to, uh, to, to staying steadfast in the faith as that passage began, to staying faithful to our calling, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We daily, we continually encourage one another to this. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, well it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end.